Welcome to Rock Content's Jam Session podcast series. In each episode, we sit down and talk with industry experts who share proven marketing strategies, best practices for content, tactical advice, and tales of SaaS and entrepreneurship, and so much more. Enjoy today's episode. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Rodrigo Nascimento. I'm at Rock Content, and I'm really, really excited here to be here with Diego and Grant Fishkin, two guys that that's a reference for me. I learned a lot with them. So I will agree to you introduce yourself. Of course, Rand don't need introduce, but I think it will be good. So Diego, talk about you over a little. So and Rand, uh, right after Diego can talk about too. Sure, yeah. For folks who don't know me, uh I started a company called Moz a long time ago. 18 years ago, and uh, that turned into a very popular blog on SEO and then an SEO software company. And I have um, since moved on to uh, start a new company a couple of years ago called SparkToro, which launched just yesterday morning. Uh, it's great to have you. I'm a big fan. I think you're one of the key thought leaders of our industry. So let me introduce myself a little bit as well. My name is Diego Gomez. I am the CEO and founder of Rock Content. We've been on this journey for about seven years and I'm happy to have you, Rand. I was reading last night your launch post about SparkToro. Pretty exciting. Uh, this is a challenging time. So I'm curious about the decision and also for you to explain a little bit about what is SparkToro? How does it help marketers? Curious to learn more. Sure. So it is a challenging decision. I apologize. Um, I wish I spoke Portuguese, but I don't. I, I have visited Brazil and <laughs> Portugal. I want to learn Portuguese, but uh... yeah, Casey and I have kind of put our heads together in March. Initially, we were planning to launch in mid-March, so around the 15th of March. And obviously, with everything that was happening with coronavirus here in the United States and, and everywhere else in the world, we, we realized that we just couldn't do it in good faith. I, I don't think it would have been appropriate. It wouldn't have felt right. I'm not sure we would have gotten any attention, right? Everyone's attention was somewhere else. And mm -hmm. that's still the case. I mean, I think that there's, there's a lot of attention being paid to not just the virus itself, and infection rates and all those kinds of things, but the economic impact side of things as well. And the, you know, the crash that we're in, all the folks who are losing their jobs. And so we decided to delay, but once we saw what I would say, kind of interest and attention returning to the web marketing field. So we, we watched a few metrics. We watched traffic to our own site. Uh, we've got a section called trending on SparkToro, which is kind of a, like all the news of the day in web marketing. And when we saw traffic start to recover to that, we knew people were coming back and paying attention again. We saw attention being paid to like indie hackers and product hunt again. So we knew people were once again sort of hungry for content and content around web marketing in particular and software. I mean, Diego, I'm sure you've, you've had this issue, right? As you own a business, you know what your cash position looks like, you know what cash flow looks like. The longer we delay, the longer we have no revenue coming in. So at some point we had to say, hey, we've got to make this happen. Uh, I, I really enjoyed reading your post and we'll share it on the link. I was there. I was paying attention. I think a lot of people were. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about content marketing. One of the 
key topics we're going to discuss today is customer data. We always read your blog and, and we, we see you discussing the Google monopoly uh, data collection. So I know that SparkToro is very focused on customer research. And I would be curious to hear your thoughts about the role of data. What trends are you seeing? If you would like to explain a little bit to the audience the differences between first-party and second-party data. Yeah, the last question is the easiest one, right? First-party is, is self-collected. Uh, Second-party or third-party data comes from other sources. And I think both of those are playing big roles. But honestly, Diego, I feel like the biggest trend in data, especially the last four, three, four years, is the, the big monopolies in tech sort of sucking up all the data and lobbying in combination with sort of keeping all of their data private. They're also lobbying governments to prevent other people from collecting data under the guise of privacy. That bothers me a lot, right? I, I mean, I think when you look at GDPR in Europe, for example, right, there was a really good intent there, right? The legislative body hoped to protect citizens. They wanted to make sure that people had remedies in the case of uh, privacy violations, hold companies' feet to the fire if they did that, all those kinds of things. And what it ended up doing, by and large, is basically preventing any European startup, tech startup, from ever being able to compete in the global market. And it made sure that new companies from anywhere in the world wouldn't be able to compete in Europe with Google and Facebook because those are the only companies that have all of the data already and therefore don't risk privacy violation when they do all kinds of you know, targeting things based on that data. There's this big long-term trend, I think, toward the powerful and rich getting more powerful and more rich and more capable of monetizing data and everyone else sort of losing out and having to feed on the scraps. I think that sucks. And so the thing that I'm most excited about, the thing that I want to contribute to with SparkToro, the thing that I want to see from other companies is innovation that disrupts that model, that puts the power back in the hands of small businesses, medium businesses, individual marketers, so that they can compete, right? So I love data like JumpShot, which is what I used, the clickstream data provider that I used for a lot of my research studies about Google's zero-click problem and, and taking away data. I also um, really like SimilarWeb out of Israel. They, they also collect clickstream data. They have a product called SimilarWeb Pro, which it's expensive, but not thousands of dollars a month. I think it's three or four hundred dollars a month. But you can basically see how web traffic is flowing to your own site, to your competitors, that kind of thing. That's really cool in my opinion. I love data providers that are making data transparent. So people like StatCounter who show you know, data about which browsers are popular, which devices are popular. The fascinating data recently that with coronavirus, desktop is growing again for the first time in years and mobile is shrinking, right? That's fascinating. That hasn't happened you know, in the history of mobile. So yeah, I like seeing open source data and I like seeing any kind of marketing data that can help small companies compete with big ones. Nice, yeah. One thing we see a lot and we advocate a lot, I'm a big believer on these thesis of these powerful companies owning your data. Yeah. And I think one of the core principles of content marketing is you build your own website, your own experiences, your own yes. content. And I think that's the best response uh, and the best strategy for companies to thrive and collect first-party data. 
I know over the course of your career and trajectory in both SparkToro and Moss, uh, you leverage these strategies a lot. In our case, one thing that we focus a lot in helping our customers as well is creating interactive content experiences. These tend to have way higher conversion rates than the typical landing pages, or let's say it's very hard to get a lot of structured data without a very compelling give back to the customer in terms of experience. Right. So we're seeing a lot of marketers more and more focused on this as a data strategy. And when you say about the Facebook, Google, these big tech monopolies, every marketer is a little bit concerned about these and feels a little bothered. Like, how do you think marketers should react to own their data? I read several articles in your blog about that, and it's a topic I'm fascinated about. So I think anytime you can, especially if you're doing content marketing and search engine optimization, those kinds of things, I think it really pays to, as you said, have your own platform. One of the tactical ways I would encourage folks to do that is to basically make your website the first place that any content appears. And then if you want to use other networks to go broadcast and reach people, that can be great. For example, right, let's say you have a bunch of awesome new photos of your business and your operations, and maybe that's really interesting to folks. Putting them on your site first before you go distribute them on whatever it is, you know, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, right? Uh, Google's new local, you know, photos section, all that kind of stuff, right? I, I would start with your own site. That's true for video as well. So when I produce video for, when I did it at Moz, when I did it, do it at SparkToro, I first upload the video to Wistia and then I self-host it on my website so that we get the traffic first. And then, you know, a few weeks, a few months later, I'll also put it on YouTube because YouTube can be great for distribution. I do want more people to see it, but I also want everyone to know that they're going to have to come to our site first if they want it early, right? It's sort of like how television networks broadcast a show, yeah, and then maybe a couple years later you can get it on Netflix, right? And I think that's a pretty smart strategy. So I would, I would urge that on the content side. On the data side, I don't mind third-party metrics and data. I think having them can be useful and good, especially if they can help you interpret things using whatever, Google Trends data or, you know, Moz data or SEMrush data or whatever kind of uh, data you want can be useful. I would say, however, anything that you can do to collect and verify that data coming to your site and build a thorough, high quality uh, funnel, even a visualization of your funnel, right? Here's how people get to us. Here's how many times they tend to visit before they give us their email address, whatever it is, right? Here's how many people reach the conversion stage. Here's how many people we collect as customers and then how we retain them. I think having that picture and then knowing the traffic sources that are contributing to each parts of that funnel is invaluable. When you see something work well or something work poorly, you can invest time and effort in either bolstering a good opportunity with more effort or investing in one that should be good that you're not performing well in, making that stronger. Nice. Over the last two years in building SparkToro, I know you guys are processing massive amounts of data and generating valuable insights for marketers. Can you share a little bit of the insights you're getting by navigating on this data to grow SparkToro and to build a business? 
the basic way we collect data, right, with Arcturo is we go out to social networks and websites that are connected to them. So for example, maybe like your about page on your agency's website, which is connected to your social account on you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, Quora, whatever, right? All these different networks. We essentially build connections between those. So we say, oh, okay, we think this Diego Gomez over here is the same one that's over here. And so, you know, they link back and forth to each other. All right, we, we feel pretty confident. And then we build that as essentially a profile. We're not interested in showing the personally identifiable information, but we want to know like, oh, founder, web marketing, agency, all, all these kinds of details. And that text data is what's stored and then searchable in the system. It's really interesting because I think a lot of people who initially see SparkToro think that we are machine learning or AI or something, just because those things are like really sexy and popular right now. And how could you possibly be a tech startup without machine learning? We're not. We are as simple as big data comes, right? So we essentially collect this data at scale. So, you know, billions of individual profile pieces uh, that wrap up into about 70 million, a little more than that, confirmed profiles, right, that we've got in the database. And then you search across those and say, oh, show me, you know, whatever it is, marketing agency founders. Show me people who are architects in California. Show me fiction authors in New York, right? Whatever it is. And then we can go from our data, show uh, people who are the publications, people, attributes, behavior that those individuals sort of pay attention to and have. And that, it was a theory. We did not know if it was going to work, right? So it was probably last spring, almost a year ago, that we're trying it out for the first time. Like, okay, I think maybe we had 25 million profiles or something. We're trying it out. Like, is this going to do anything? And when it produced really useful, interesting, valuable results, yeah, it felt like a eureka moment, you know, just super exciting for us. And then we started building in earnest and started the beta, all those kinds of things. But we think about data less as a commodity and more as a way to get insight, if that makes sense, right? It's not just the collection and the quantity. It's, does this do something for me? Can I provably show that when I have this particular problem, the data actually solves it? And I think that's a much smarter way to think about it than maybe how data has been thought of, which is just build as much of it as I can, collect as much of it as I can. I think there's some, unfortunately, some tech startups and tech companies that have gone off the rails that way. I couldn't agree more. You have to have a business outcome tied to it, and then you, you get uh, there and easy to validate. I believe in specifically about the kinds of data I saw playing with, with it. Very interesting for those content marketings in the audience to outreach, influencer marketing. I think yeah. there are some areas it seems to be adding a lot of value. One of the things I worry about a little bit too, just in, a, in the broader data, data conversation outside of even SparkToro is I do see some businesses being obsessed with, we are data driven. And I'm not actually sure that's the right way to be, right? I think that data can inform your decisions, but if you don't have, especially in marketing and product development, if you don't have one-to-one -one individual conversations, you know, sort of interviews and chats and talks with the people you're trying to serve, I think that data can sometimes mislead you. 
And so I really encourage people to have this two-pronged approach, right? You want to have data at enough scale that you can feel confident in your assumptions. And you want to have assumptions that are not based on data, but rather are validated by it. And those assumptions usually should come through conversations with real people. When we were building SparkToro, for example, right, we talked to tons and tons of marketers and market researchers and entrepreneurs and founders, people like yourself, right, and asked them, hey, how do you do this thing? Like, how do you find the source of influence for your customers or for your clients so that you can, you know, go do marketing tactics of all kinds? And we heard some really not great approaches that, you know, just took forever, were super expensive. We heard some really smart approaches. And then we used data from a big survey, which I love doing large-scale surveys. I just don't like basing all my decisions off the survey alone, right? I want to use the survey to validate things I think I learned and heard in interviews. And I think that's how data works in general. You have an assumption, a hypothesis, and you want it validated by data rather than you look at a bunch of data and then you make a decision based on it. That would be how I'd urge people to think about big data or small data. No, I think similarly, and, and very more often than not, I see the small data being super valuable. In our case, like we have a very high volume of new leads being created every month. So our blog has around 5 million visits. The amount of data is massive, but the small data is the bottom of the funnel. One great example, like an ROI calculator or a quiz, it really helps us collect data in a more conversational model and, and really helps us improve our business instead of just uh, more leads. Not More often than not, you need to know who of these big audiences is actively looking for solutions in this specific area. Right, right. So you, you might have data saying, oh, well, when we put out this kind of content, we get twice as many visitors, but it might not be the right kind of people who convert at the right rates or pay well or have the problems that your company solves, right? And so instead you wanna kind of say, how did we acquire our best customers? Okay, let's go do more of that that has more success, right? We wanna replicate those kinds of acquisition funnels as opposed to just you know raw traffic or maximizing the conversion flow through or whatever it is, right? I'm totally with you. I think, I think that's a really smart way to think about this problem. Switching gears a little bit here in covering the coronavirus, it's very hard to fight for attention right now. Uh, people, the attention spans are really diffuse. Everybody is working from home, kids, dogs, the delivery guy. I know this is a topic you've been exploring lately on your social media as well. How are you seeing the marketing evolving and what will change in a post-coronavirus world in your opinion? I think... It's really hard right now to know what post-coronavirus will look like. I, I think it's still far enough away, you know, probably somewhere between, I don't know, a year and 18 months away, right, that we get probably a, a good vaccine, right, that's distributed, well distributed and, and widely available. But my guess for the next six months, which I think is, you know, is that basically we're going to see some emergence of economic activity in pockets, right? There's gonna be parts of the world that start to open up a little bit, some wisely because they've done a good job, they have good contact tracing, all those kinds of things, right? South Korea doing a very good job with this, Japan is almost certainly doing a good job with this, Taiwan and Singapore, Germany looks like it's doing a good job, right? So those kinds of places. And then places that are opening up, but in not so smart ways, 
I think there's been a lot of coverage of Sweden's strange approach to coronavirus or the United States, right, which is just super inconsistent and has some good leadership at local levels, but the federal level is kind of a mess. And as you see these disparate things opening up and some closing back down again, I think what you're going to find is that there is a substantive portion of the population who continues to be fearful enough that they stay at home and therefore their lives are going to run almost exclusively virtually, right? It's going to continue to be like it was in quarantine for at least six to nine months, maybe longer. Tons of people whose lives are almost exclusively online. They do all their meetings online. They keep working from home. I think this is going to be very true in tech and digital, and almost anyone who can work from home is going to keep doing that. That will mean that e-commerce is the primary way everything will get bought and done, right? And so if you are in that field and you can serve sort of that group of people, what I'd call maybe the, you know, we're not talking about the wealthiest 1%, but we're talking about maybe the, you know, the next wealthiest 20 or 30%, those folks are going to continue to be a market that buys, but they will buy online both services and goods digitally. And very much on the consumer side, we're going to see that continue to be an awesome market, right? A powerful market uh, where there's a lot of opportunity. I think we'll also see on the B2B side, a ton of, you know, digitally serviced products and services of all kinds, right? Like lots of businesses like yours and mine are going to be seeking contractors, agencies, service providers to do all the kinds of work that they need rather than hiring people full-time. As a result, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for, you know, software as a service, but also people, contractors, and service providers who are available and, and good at their jobs. I do think we'll see an increase in, I would say, like um, digital innovation and creativity. So like a lot of people who lose their jobs, who go try and build their own thing of some kind or another, right? A, whatever, a Kickstarter, a Patreon, a startup, uh, that kind of stuff. And so that field is going to exist as well. None of this is to say, if this was 100% in February, I think it's going to keep being 80%, 70% of what it was for a significant period of time. So a serious loss, no doubt about it, but also lots of creativity and innovation, a bunch of service providers. My advice would be, don't think about becoming one of these. Think about how your product and service can serve one of these people who can serve this new world, right? So it's not... I'm urging you to, whatever, quit your job and become a, an independent contractor who serves a bunch of companies. That could work for you. But I would say, if you know a way that you can build a product or a service that helps a bunch of those people, you will have even more opportunity because those people are searching for those, that kind of help. And there's going to be a lot more of them. Yeah, one of our products visually, it's a, a creative talent network. So we have designers and video makers all over Perfect. the world. And it's really interesting because we're seeing significant uptake in demand and uh, week over week, the number of leads and traffic, it's increasing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's COVID is accelerating this transition to a more distributed model, which I found pretty interesting. Another one that's been huge is uh, digital education. So I have some friends who basically are, are helping people learn all sorts of skills, um, everything from, yeah, like digital marketing types of skills on one end, but flight schools, right? Like remote learn to fly a little plane over the internet, that kind of stuff. The demand has just been 
incredible, right? Hundreds of percents up. I would urge anybody who's interested in looking at where these specific demand pockets are happening, the folks at SimilarWeb have a free report you can get on their website. It sort of shows different industries and search, like aggregated search areas of interest that are spiking and falling. And it's pretty fascinating to see there's many that are up you know, 20 to 30%. There's some that are up hundreds or thousands of percents. Worth investigating. You've been an internet marketer for a long time, and I imagine you've known webinars for years just like we did. But we're seeing a huge uptick in live experiences, yeah. webinars, online content as well right now. And this is true in entertainment too, right? I have some friends in the uh, theater world who are putting together these like creative shows, uh, you know, like comedy shows and events and theater shows remote from their houses. It's crazy to see, right? It's kind of wild. My wife actually, she was asked to be on the board of a, a theater and they invited her to watch a performance that happened online, right? Kind of like we're having, but a play. It was amazing, right? So I think that that means a lot of different things, right? That obviously means, well, there's going to be some demand for that. And that means there will be, you know, need for people who are good at all kinds of video production from home, blah, 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 equipment, et cetera. But I think that also means there's going to be a lot more, you know, the longer this goes, the more we will see creative applications of live events of all kinds and, and digitally produced things. And that's going to mean a lot more opportunity for marketers who can help bring audiences to digital events. You know, there's going to be a ton of demand for people like us in the digital marketing world who can help build audiences, bring them to an event online, uh, get signups, get amplification from that, right? Build interest. We're seeing all sorts of uh, uh, brands and typically very big ones saying we need to go into the live experiences, into yeah. webinars. It's an area where uh, everyone is trying to adapt and learn. One uh, uh, other question I had specifically about this is, do you have any uh, brands or specific marketing initiatives you've seen lately that said, this is an amazing job of marketing in these challenging times? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a few examples that I put in my recent blog posts, which you know folks are welcome to check out on SparkToro. One that I thought was pretty remarkable. Check out the folks at ProfitWell. They essentially provide tools to uh, subscription services, right? Which is a pretty smart industry to be in right now. There's a lot of opportunity there, obviously. And there's also a bunch of new people entering that field. And so I think they can help a lot of those folks. But um, ProfitWell did a really smart thing where they partnered with a number of other subscription service companies, right? So not direct competitors, but all people who can help in the stack. And they put together a package that included a bunch of uh, free and discounted services that you could access and buy together. I thought it was really smart because it essentially pools the resource of attention and then helps anybody who needs it. And so as a result, right, it's sort of combining the many channels and individual accounts that all of these services have together and also serving the same customer who might need many things together. 
I really like that because I think that right now there's a challenge to figure out, hey, how am I going to find, you know, I'm starting an online business or I'm ramping up my subscription business or I need to digitize a ton of my things that I was doing in physical world or, or reduce costs, right? Lots of people are, who have existing products and services are trying to find ways to reduce their cost footprint. And so they're on the market again, even though they might not normally be looking to shift up their service providers. And so when you, you know, tap into that like customer mentality and helpful in the moment, you know, that's a win, right? I thought that was really, really smart. B2B yeah. example, but. I'm a big fan of the profit. Well, guys and Patrick, I think they were. Yeah, what a genius. There's Mark on that one. He sent me the sweetest email yesterday. I don't know if this is just me, but I think one of the other things coronavirus has done at a macro level and a micro level is, has made people really want that human connection. I mean, this is such a small thing. Like it was just a no subject line email from Patrick saying congratulations on the SparkToro launch, telling me how much it meant to him that we had talked about, you know, something ProfitWell had done. And I don't know, it was just really touching. And I think there's a ton of power in building individual relationships, reaching out to people who have helped you, have inspired you, who, you know, might be going through a tough time right now and just being a kind, empathetic human being to them, right? Like it, it means a lot to get an email like that. And I think that those, those things stick in your memory. It's not marketing. I mean, maybe it's marketing, but it's a wonderful way to be a great person and to potentially help your business and career. Patrick is one of the nicest guys in our industry. And, and I have a big admiration. I would like to highlight one example that I saw as well that I found really, really interesting. Uh, ABI, the big brewery company, invests a lot in advertising, TV, etc. Yeah. They built one initiative to support restaurants and for you to and bars for you to donate. And I think that's an amazing, helpful, value-add way to go to market right now. I found that really nice. Yeah, cool. I was not aware of this, but um, yeah, I found a piece about it on Seeking Alpha. Very cool. I'm seeing several brands uh, creating some solutions like this, uh, helping with donations. Uh, in our case, we focus really on, on giving educational resources. So we have a few paid courses online. We decided to give a lot away and we had amazing adoption. But I think this overall, this goodwill chain that it's going on, it's a very positive thing to yeah. make marketing more human. I love that. I, I think it's, um, if you are in a position of privilege and you can help other people somehow right now, I think you will pay it forward in a way that comes back to you in spades. Totally, totally. Rodrigo, any experience you'd like to share? Any questions you'd like to bring on? Questions from the yeah. audience? Uh, I saw one last month, actually. It's a real estate company here in Brazil. So for the real estate, it's a huge challenge, right? So people can't go to the place, so they have some life. So you schedule with the person and he goes to the place and show all the place for the, the people. So I think this is very interesting and innovative. I don't know if we will sell some place, but at least they will get some great leads and yeah. hot leads, right? So this is the best example that I saw last month. Rodrigo, that really speaks to something that I think is so smart about this time is you might find that not a lot of people are converting right now. 
right? They're yeah. not buying, but it's a wonderful time to earn attention, amplification, yeah. awareness, build your email list, right? Build your social account, build your website traffic, build your content engine and your SEO engine. That stuff really, really works well right now. This is one of the reasons with the SparkToro launch, we decided we were going to give away much more of the product for free, give people more searches when they initially sign up, show people more results when they sign up, basically make it such that you can get a lot of value for free right now. And in exchange, we get you know a lot of people's email addresses and people who are familiar with the product. And then as the economy hopefully recovers in the future, those people will remember that SparkToro helped solve their problem and come back to us. So instead of kind of optimizing for the bottom of the funnel, we're optimizing for the middle of the funnel. Yeah, there's another example too. Uh, it's a great example, but it's more common. Some gyms are doing some lives and you can exercise at your home. Oh, nice. And yeah. yeah, so uh, people can keep their exercises and doing something different from their routine, right? So it's a great yeah. example too. So Geraldine, my wife takes a, um, a Pilates class, an exercise class at her gym. And of course, when that was shut down, her instructor kind of got everyone's email address and then invited them to a virtual class, which she now teaches. Mm -hmm. So Geraldine does, I, I think three or four times a week, you know, via Zoom, right? She's just like doing her workout yeah. the same way we're having this webinar. And there's a bunch of people participating, right? And it has this like community feel. She told me the other day, she's like, you know, it feels like normal. It's getting close to, to normal now. So I think that you know, wonderful innovation. I got a question for you here from Giuseppe Cautabiano saying that it looks like SparkToro is opening a new category within marketing intelligence. Why do you think no one else has created a similar tool before? Giuseppe, it boggles my mind. I think this is how you find a, an exciting category in general, right? Is that you find something, a problem that you yourself struggle with and lots of people around you struggle with. And I, I certainly struggled with it. I know lots of people, especially in early stage and, and smaller companies struggled with. And we could not figure out why a product like this didn't exist. It just didn't make any sense. So this being said, I think a lot of people solve this problem. It's, a, it's an old problem, right? People in the 1970s and 1980s were trying to figure out, oh, which newspapers and magazines does my audience you know, listen to? What TV channels do they watch? What programs do they watch, right? And you would see a lot of that was based on demographics previously. So we saw people solving that with interviews and surveys, but that data is not great, right? If you've ever run interviews, run surveys, self-reported data is just not awesome for this. You know, if I ask you, oh, which podcast do you listen to? You might name two or three, but they'll be the ones that are top of mind, not necessarily the ones you listen to the most, not necessarily capture sort of everything there. And so we figured this would be potentially really useful. But the most frustrating part was when we started building this, and we asked people, what do you call the practice of finding the sources of influence for your audience so that you can go do marketing of all kinds there? And people said, oh, I do that work, but I have no name for it. And so we didn't know, like we, we had to come up with a category name. We were like, let's call it audience intelligence because it doesn't have another name. People don't know, you know, don't have a word for it, even though they do the work. You know, it's not like PR or SEO or email marketing where it's like, oh yeah, that describes this work. It's very strange in that way.
one close friend of mine, uh, Mark Organ, he recently said, like, it's a very good space to be in, to be creating a category and defining what it means. So I think that means an opportunity. Got another question here from Christy. How online, the online media industry is going to change after the coronavirus? If by media you mean like publications and big media, small media too, very blogs and that kind of thing, I think we're going to see a bifurcation. I think there's going to be a lot of small, independent, very, very tiny operations run by, you know, one to five people who kind of survive because their costs are low. They don't need to make a ton of money. Maybe it's the media that they're building is supporting some other type of business model. And there's going to be a few kind of big, media publications that do well because they earn subscriptions. But I think a lot of the middle is going to get squeezed. Uh, we're already seeing that in the U.S. media world, like Vox Publications and a few of the other ones, uh, even BuzzFeed. They're suffering because online, even though there's more online attention than ever, they're getting more visitors than ever. Uh, CPMs and the quantity of ads being run and people willing to pay for ads has dropped precipitously. <laughs> And so, you know, what's awesome as a marketer is that there's never been a better time to buy paid media because you can get it so dirt cheap. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine who two months ago was paying $3 per lead and is now paying 12 cents, right? Like his Facebook advertising, like the costs have just dropped yeah. off a cliff. And so, you know, great if you can afford to be one of those folks. But I think that media stuff is going to be squeezed. My only mm -hmm. suggestion and solution for people who are in media is be your audience's best friend, source of comfort, build those direct relationships and get a subscription base going, right? I think subscription is the way to overcome the advertising model problem. Totally agree with you. Last question from Ricardo Padilla. For a small company, doesn't have a marketing team yet, do not have a lot of budget, what should they start doing now? Yeah, I think if you're low on budget, it's a great time to invest in uh, organic channels, right? So yeah, Julia, I see your question as well, right? Like around content marketing. I think one of the things that is definitely true in 2020 in content marketing SEO world is more online attention than ever with lower cost per acquisition, right, and less competition. You know, unfortunately, a lot of businesses are going out of business. A lot of people are cutting staff in this area. Many times businesses cut marketing before they cut other things, which can be dangerous, right, especially if you do it with a sledgehammer instead of a scalpel. But I would definitely say if you are low on budget but have the ability to weather this storm, you can build up through content, SEO, PR, building your own kind of media channels, right? Becoming a, a source of influence in your sphere. Video content is popular. Podcasts have sort of like shrunk and grown a little bit, but those sorts of investments and channels can be really, really useful for building up what we talked about earlier, that middle of funnel. Get your email list rocking right now. There's never been a better time to capture more people who have interest, but potentially not budget. If you can afford to give things away for free in exchange for contact information, in the future, you'll be able to do some awesome marketing to those people and capture more value. That's what I would spend my time on. That's certainly what we're going to be spending our time on, right? Casey and I are going to be doing a lot of organic channel building, not a ton of paid marketing, build up our audience over the next few months, and then hope that as things recover, we can capture that revenue. I have one last thing here to do with you. We call, let's fast five. 
So five topics and you have 30 seconds or one to eat to talk about this topic because uh, it is a great topic. So I will call the, the topic and you have 30 seconds or one to eat. Okay. Okay. Go Brandon and after go Diego. So SEO. Technically, it's growing in opportunity again because more people are searching, even though Google is taking more and more searches for themselves. So I think now is probably a better time than it was in February to invest. I would say best ROI channel, something like that. Uh, influencer marketing. I'm seeing a lot of articles saying we're experiencing the death of influencer marketing because influencers can't go travel and take all the photos that they used to and that kind of thing. That being said, attention being paid to Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, whatever is way up. So if you can find innovative ways to build your audience right now, I think it can still be a win if you're the influencer. I agree totally. And I would say it works well if you're able to build long-term relationships in that. If you go on a transactional model, typically it lets you down. Great. This one here is very important. Interactive content. This is my favorite one. We built up the initial uh, email list and traffic for SparkToro by launching free tools, right? Free interactive tools, like you put in your Twitter account, we give you data back about it, the Spark score thing, trending, uh, fake followers. Those were huge for us. I think that is going to continue to be an awesome content marketing channel. It means two things for me. First, it's adding more value to the experience of the customer. But the second, it's one of the best ways to collect first-party data because it's not just a, a static. It's you're really giving people direction and valuable experience there. Right. Uh, mobile marketing. Not quite as powerful as it as it was before, but I, I don't think uh, mobile is going anywhere. I think it'll come right back as soon as people are able to travel again. I would say the weird thing is I don't know that there's that much of a difference between mobile marketing and web marketing anymore. I don't really see it. It's marketing. Awesome. It's marketing. Awesome. So, and video? I love video. I think that one of the challenges happening right now is that even amateur at-home video is getting higher and higher quality. More people are getting more sophisticated with their equipment. They're getting better at telling stories through video. And so that field, whereas three years ago, it was pretty easy to enter, the bar is higher right now. You've got to step it up if you want to do something. When I launched Whiteboard Friday, there was no other video, so I could be really crappy, right? And people still watch. Now you got to bring it up. I love video marketing. I think it's every year seems to be the year of video marketing. It's a great acquisition channel. It's still a little bit challenging, as Ren said earlier, to convert. The audience typically stays on YouTube more than on your website, but it's a competitive differentiator if you can tell your brand story. I love it. Great, guys. Uh, if we have summary here about this talk, we talk about people, we talk about experience. So video, interactive content, empathy. So it's about how we can serve people as a company and as a professional, right? So I think the, the main goal here, the main things that we had on this talk was about people. There's one thing that I, I really like to talk about marketing because times like this, we are getting back for, uh, at the marketing essence. So it's not technical, it's not technology, it's not everything that we have, but it's about people and about the best experience that we can provide for them. So uh, I really loved this talk. Thank you so much, Ren, for being here yeah. with us again. Thank you, Diego. So if you can have some uh, last talk for the people that we have here. Yeah. 
I think that it is definitely true we're going through the most revolutionary time in our lives, certainly in my life, right? Probably since World War II. And that is really scary. It is overwhelming for a lot of people. It's really hard for a lot of people. And also, I think that one of the ways to best get through this, one of the ways to ground yourself and make sure that you are okay and your sort of mental health and emotional state is better is to help other people. This is like science, right? If you want to have a sort of peaceful, like I can go to sleep at night and I feel okay and during the day I'm not panicked, if you help others, you will find that. I think that's the best way to market right now. That's the best way to build content right now. That's the best way to get through this challenge. I totally agree. Right now it's the time for telling your story in the most authentic way, engaging with the broader world. We're all in this social distancing context, so it's time to make it more human, more empathetic. Stay close to your customers, to your audience, and that's pretty much it. This was amazing. Thanks for joining, Ren. I imagine almost everyone here follows you, but where can we find you online? And uh, uh, what's your Twitter if you want to share a website? So yeah, Twitter is my most active network where I'm at Randfish. And I write on the SparkToro blog, which is sparktoro.com slash blog. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, guys. This was great. It was great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Rock Content's Jam Session podcast series. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to receive our latest episodes. We'll see you next week.